Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, honey. It's your husband, Seth, and I am so proud of you today. Not only for reaching this incredible milestone episode, and not only for having the very good sense to have me as your guest on the show two times over the years, but I'm proud of you for all the work you've put in to make Dates and Mates what it is today. Your dedication and your excellence astounds me, and I cannot wait for the next 400 episodes. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just want somebody to share my life with. When you have these deep connections, they do tend to span the life of the relationship. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Yes, that was my husband, Mr. Seth Hoffman. My inspiration for my career, my show, and so much of my advice that I share here. As you just heard, it is our 400th episode of Dates and Mates, and it's going to be a very special, special episode. We have been collecting messages from Dates and Mates listeners who've shared why they listen to the show, and I will be sprinkling them throughout the episode, and we'll even be ending the show today with one very special message from another member of my family. But that is not the thing that makes today's episode so special. You know, when I began Dates and Mates nine years ago, there weren't that many other shows like this around. And there was one show... And one person in particular who really, really inspired me and gave me the roadmap for how I wanted to share my voice and my knowledge with the world. And that show was Loveline. And that person was Dr. Drew Pinsky. And I am so thrilled to announce to you that he is my guest today. Dr. Drew Pinsky co-hosted Loveline with Dr. Drew for over 30 years. I mean, it makes my <laughs> nine years sound like nothing. But he really has been a pioneer in offering advice on dating, relationships, sex, health, wellness, and so much more. In addition to his career as a TV and radio personality, Dr. Drew is, is actually a doctor. He's a doctor of internal medicine and an addiction specialist. He continues to treat patients to this day. You may have seen some of his work on Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew or more recently on Teen Mom. He is still doing the dang thing. But more importantly, he and his wife, Susan, have been married for 30 years, and they currently work together to produce the podcast, Ask Dr. Drew. And today he's going to be here to share the story of their seven-year courtship. Yeah, you heard me, seven years. And their secrets to a long-lasting relationship. And in a special supersize, Dear Demona, Dr. Drew and I will answer questions from you like, what does it really mean if people say I'm intimidating? And he checks off all my boxes, except in the bedroom. Am I leading him on if I still am figuring things out? Plus, so many, many more. Lovers, thank you for celebrating the 400th episode with me. And now, please give big smooches to my guest, Dr. Drew Pinsky. Big smooches. I like that intro. Nice. I know. Don't tell your wife that I gave you big smooches. No. 
<laughs> I think she'd be okay. It's all good. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here for our 400th episode. Wow. It's crazy because I have to tell you, Loveline was a big influence on me when I started this podcast. So it's a little surreal that we're sitting here having this conversation. You actually took part of our production staff. Congratulations. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> right. No, thank you. It was, uh, you know... One of those little moments of history that uh, took form spontaneously and had the impact it had, and I was glad to be a part of it. Well, I'm glad to have you here. I was glad that that you were a part of it because it really inspired me that we could make an entertaining show, but also give people real meaningful advice. Yeah. And so that's what we that's what we've been doing for nine years, four hundred episodes. Wow! And that's what I hope to do today. Great. And so I want to get your secrets, first of all, because you also have been in a relationship for quite a long time. You've been married for 30 years, right? Plus, 30 plus, yeah. And you've been in a relationship for a long time. I, now, I'm a bit of an internet sleuth, which you probably figured out when I did your show, Ask Dr. Drew. Yeah. The internet has competing stories, however, on how you and your wife, Susan, met. Okay. So can you set the record straight today on Dates and Mates? So there's a lot of intrigue in that whole story. So let me let me see if I can set it straight. So we first met after my second year of medical school. And I was studying for the first part of our boards with a friend of mine down in Orange County. And we were about to kill each other. And we said, we just got to go out to a bar and do something, blow off some steam. And we did. And in this place called McCormick's Landing. I remember the name of the place. We're talking 1982, Demona. Okay. And in the prime of your life. Yeah, hardly. I was deep in medical school and, and I was a nerd and sort of didn't know how to conduct myself very well. And uh, there was a fashion show in this bar and there was a woman at the mic sort of announcing the fashion show. And I had this very strange like, I have to talk to this person. It was very strange. I don't get mm. like that. And I had a moment to sort of say something to her afterwards. And she essentially said, like, nice try, dude. And just, pff, just like blew me off so brutally that we literally left the bar. It was like, Gets, get the hell out <laughs> oh, of no. here. This is crazy. Shame. Fast forward two years, hence. Now I'm fourth year medical student. She was doing more of that same kind of stuff now for K-Rock, the radio station where Loveline was in, sort of created. And she was a guest on the show. I, I was just starting to do it. I would sort of, it was midnight to 3 a.m. on a Sunday night. I was very interested in helping Ooh. people understand about HIV and AIDS. Well, we didn't have the term HIV yet. We called it HTLV3 back then. The term safe sex had not been coined yet. I was taking care of AIDS patients hand over fist. It was a very dark period of medical history. You got to remember that was a pandemic with a 100%, not at 5% or a 1%, a 100% fatality rate at that time. And it was wow. sad. And no one was talking to young people about it. It was a very strange moment of history where condoms were behind the counter near the antihypertensive medication. You had to have a pharmacist bring them out to the front. Wow. And because in the eyes of the country at that time, you just don't do that. You know, young people aren't having sex. You don't talk to them about it. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm 24 years old. I know what's up. I know what people are doing. I, we need to talk about this. This is a this is a, a tsunami heading our way. Yeah. And uh, anyway, 
one of the nights I went up there, I was just sort of volunteering. I volunteered for 10 years. It was not a job. I just did it because it was interesting and fun and I was meeting interesting people and I could push this, this information out. And um, there was Susan Saylor, my now wife. She was a guest on the show because she was now the head of this group of models that she was announcing for again and organizing these shows and things. And I had the same experience. She says that when she walked in, I said, there's the love of my life, which is possible I said something like that, but it's weird that I knew that. I don't remember saying that. <laughs> you blacked out and you can't remember. <laughs> well, i tell you what I did do, which is, again, something I never do, which was as she was leaving, I said, we were getting in our cars at the end, you know, it was like two in the morning or whatever. And I said, uh, look, I don't ever do this. I know you're in a relationship, but I'm just going to give, I, I have to give you my phone number in case, just please, if it ever, you know, becomes of use to you, please, I, here's the number. And I, and I don't mean to be, you know, imposing. And I, again, don't want to screw you up, whatever you're doing, but I have to do this, which I had never done in my life ever. I don't think ever since. And lo and behold, she called a little while later and we'd been dating a year before I realized it was the same person I met at the bar because she had pictures in her desk of that night. And I was like, wait a minute, I was there that night. I was like, oh my God, you're the same person that I had this experience with. Whoa, that yeah. is so wild. And it's like that sliding doors moment. My husband and I had a similar experience because we found, we met online, but we discovered that we were at two of the same parties at the same time. And I've always wondered, like, did we meet there? Like there were two awkward guys I talked to. One of them I went to by myself. And I remember talking to these awkward guys and I was like, could he have been one of those awkward guys? I don't know. It's pretty easy to be an awkward guy at a certain age. Trust me. But I think it's Eastern philosophers, like Chinese philosophers, uh, have sayings about the important people in your life entering more than once. They come around a few times mm. typically. And statistically, that seems right to me. And in terms of how our same people, same circles a little bit, you know, in our lives and our attraction systems are what they are. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And so you can feel about somebody in one moment, you're going to feel the same again a little bit later. And then we dated on and off you know, for seven years. I mean, it was not all on for those seven years. Trust me. It was not, I know Susan likes to tell it as Drew just wasn't ready. He, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, we were, we were on and off. We, we, you know, it was, it was, we had some really good stretches and then some not so good stretches. And then finally, good. We were good. Well, let's talk about that because I did hear from, from Susan when I was on Ask Dr. Yeah. Drew that it was about seven years of on and off. Yeah. What was it that made you say, this is the moment? Well, it's more that I knew when it wasn't the moment. I knew that if I got married or committed myself to somebody, you know, let's say five years into our relationship of on and off again, I'd blow it. I was not ready. I just knew I wasn't ready. There's, there's something about readiness. I, I, and I've talked to a, mostly men, but a ton of people can you know feel for instance that they let somebody go that categorically was the one but would not have been able to sustain it with that one because where they were in their life they just weren't there and as i as we came back around i was just open to the idea of being ready and 
And she then put a clock on me. She said, you know, you have one year to figure this out, which I thought was very smart. And I was willing to, I, I thought that's good. I think that's right. I should be able to figure this out in a year. I, I, I don't want to keep this person needlessly, you know. And uh, and that was that. I was going to say, what did she do? Because <laughs> I know there are a lot, of, a lot of ladies listening that are like, it's like a dance, Dr. Drew. Like, what do I have to say to get the reaction that I want? And That's a mistake. That is a huge mistake. As men, we are never playing chess. You're playing checkers? You're, you're playing Pokemon Go? <laughs> I'm not even sure it's checkers. We're not even, yeah, it's not even a game. We're just sort of, you know, we're just a hamster in a wheel. We're just like, we're very, 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 very simple. And if, if a man's playing a game, watch out. It's not going to go well for you. Because the game they're playing is to trying to kind of, you know, keep you from getting too deep in the relationship or what. They're, they're trying to keep themselves out when they're playing a game. And so the more direct you can be, and, and this was with me and Susan, but like, like something like four years in, she was very direct with me. I want to do this now. And I was like, I can't. And she goes, well, then I'm going to have to break up. And I was like, then we have to. It's just the way it is. And I didn't want to, but we, we have to. And she, you know, t- took care of herself and did that. And then when she came back around later, it was a whole different thing for both of us. At least for me, it was very, very different. Yeah, how was it different? I, I was open to going forward. I, I was committed. I was, you know, I was, I, you know, as a male, your brain isn't working until you're about 27. And I was probably 29 by that point. <laughs> and like, I was like, okay, you know, I, I, I just, it's just, I just, I don't know else to say it except that my brain was functioning differently. And so it, <laughs> and it sort of was, you know, felt again, you, we've, you and I've talked about sort of feelings and motivational states. I was just following my feelings at the time. Mm. Yeah, I also see that a lot of times it's these external factors that are pressuring us. And it's really hard to figure out what you want when you have, you know, your parents are saying this and, you know, the books are saying this. And yeah, that was in my head. Well, that was more, more in my head when we started getting back together in that I felt like as people, we just, it was great, you know, physically great. Our backgrounds were very similar. And we both, I spent a lot of my life in Orange County where she grew up. We had this sort of cultural connection around that. But she had sort of gone off the rail for a while and took a while to get back to college. And, you know, there was, it was like our life courses weren't matching up. And I, kept, I remember at the time early in our relationship saying like, we have to be able to share a similar view of the world. We have to be able to talk about things the same way. You, you need to go back to college. You've got to get a degree. You just got to do this because I we, we will talk about things differently. I know it if you know once you've had that experience. And that was right. You know, so wow. she was evolving and changing at the same time. You know, there, there was a lot of growing up on both of our part that was going on. Let's, let's face it. That's a lot of what that is. And and once we <laughs> kind of got to the sort of more grown up place, then it started really working. So let's fast forward the script a little bit yeah. to being in the relationship because getting into the relationship is one thing, but then that's where my sphere of genius ends. And then yours, <laughs> you could take the ball and run with it. Right. <laughs> well, we, we had, you know, well, the one thing I tell people, the one thing I've noticed lately is that <laughs> long-term and, and I mean this as non pejoratively as it can possibly be understood. Long-term relationships is like long-term recovery from drug addiction. <laughs> it's one day at a time. And if you are happy today, you are probably going to be happy tomorrow. And if you are not happy today, 
you better pay attention because you're probably going to be not happy tomorrow and that will begin to build up. You have to kind of take it day by day, you know, and, and by the way, not just look for trouble, also be grateful and express gratitude and let your partner know that you're, you know, you appreciate them for the, the happiness you're experiencing this day. So it needs to be nourished and built and, and, you know, cared for. And by the same token, paid attention to if things are going off. You know, we've used mental health services in this family many times, all of us. And it's always paid dividends. Always, always, always. Yes, I'm a big fan of therapy. And I have all my clients actually approach dating in the same way. Mm-hmm. Dating one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's just this constant choice. Every day you get to choose to be committed to the relationship yep. that you're in. And it's this constant process of of recommitting. The other factor of long-term compatibility, or one of the other factors that we haven't talked about, but some of my listeners know, uh, is communication and conflict resolution. And this is the thing, like, sometimes people feel like when they're in a functional relationship, especially if they come from dysfunction, like, nothing's happening. And I had the same experience myself. My parents divorced when I was 17. Uh, My husband's parents are still together, though, so he's like the normal one in our family. But to me, I had to reprogram that how that that conflict yeah. and that dysfunction yeah. felt familiar. It yes. felt like something was happening. And I think you have to have a certain amount of conflict in the relationship even to see where your partner sure. lands, right? Sure. But we don't fight. We have conversations yeah. because if we deal with it in small increments, it never gets to that that volume yeah. of of needing to be a crisis moment. What do you recommend on that? Yeah, you packed a lot into that. So, so what the therapists always talk about is fighting fair, lear- learning how to fight, le- acknowledge the other. It sounds like cumbersome, but acknowledge the other person's feelings, make sure you heard them, articulate that, and then you have a turn and you you're able to express yourself. Fighting, you know, may be familiar, and you may not even realize it because you may have come from a background where that was so familiar that you don't even realize it when it's happening. It's not okay. If somebody raises their, you know, sort of brings that to your consciousness, that, hey, we're fighting a lot, you're we're yelling a lot, pay attention. Because it, it may be that you've become accustomed to it and you're missing the fact that there's real negativity and possibly even some of the serious, you know, negative emotions that erode relationships. You want to get past that. And one of the ways to, to think about it is to really take to heart that when you're in a conflict and one of you wins, the relationship loses. That's just a law of relationships. When there's a winner, the relationship loses. So you have to really quickly, and we've learned to do this, particularly in recent years, to go, "Mm -mm, I I don't want a loser. I don't have to win. I don't want the relationship to be diminished by this. Just take a deep breath and let's... Let's do something else. <laughs> Let's talk about something else. Let's figure this out some other way. The, the fighting is not should not be gratifying. It should not be interesting. It should be something you just want to understand and move past and not let it escalate in any way. We do it a lot now. I've noticed we both do it. We just go, all right, we're fighting. What 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 is that about? We don't we don't want to do that. We don't want to be fighting. So let's stop and let's kind of both just immediately get into some mode of solution and that's it. Let it go. 
Yeah. I, I really use my husband as a mirror a lot of the times. Mm. Like sometimes he can observe an emotion or something that I'm feeling triggered about that has nothing to do with him right. just in the way that I'm interacting with him. That's right. And it, just like him saying like, what was that? It's sometimes enough just to reset. Does he do that? Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I was angry about something else. Yeah. So it's really important to be... To be able to go, man, yeah, I do this too. Like, I, oh man, you're you are you are not yourself today. You are negative, and I just want you to know, you're you're you know, I'm gonna back away because you're really <laughs> this is one of those days. And if I and I will literally say, if I've done something, please let me know. Uh, I'll try to correct it. But uh, you know, something's up. <laughs> I get this question a lot on the show. What if you believe in therapy? You believe in working on yourself. Mm. You you like having that kind of clarity and feedback. But you feel like your partner's not coming to the table. Mm, what then? That's dangerous, frankly. I'm a big fan of emotionally focused therapy. And if you can get somebody in the room, a couple, with EFT, with emotionally focused therapy, it's a hard thing not to like. Because <laughs> you, you really are deconstructing all the stuff we're you and I are talking about right now. And, and having somebody deeply supportive and attuning to both people and, and the dynamics of the relationship it's never about you said this, she said that. It's it's never unpleasant. It's about supporting both people in a really kind of a deep context. And most people usually feel heard and understood and have a different clarity about, you know, what's creating the conflict and what each one is experiencing. It works very, very well. And now if you can't get anybody in the room, you really can't get them in the room, you know, one of the realities about mental health treatment is people have to get to where they get <laughs> before they're willing to do the work. I mean, I have to see this in addiction all the time, and I have to be very patient. And, you know, and, and getting people in before they're motivated sometimes um, prevents them from getting to the place where they're motivated because they, mm. they, they take half measures or they avoid it or they, I don't know, they, they try to placate you. When people are ready, they're ready. Now, the question is, can you motivate somebody to be ready? And I, and I think that's about telling your partner that they're not understanding quite how serious this all is. When I went to therapy the, the last time, which was a long stint of therapy, that was because of Susan. She called mm -hmm. me at work one day and she goes, you need to see a therapist. I'm like, yeah, I know. I was a, my crazy workaholism. We had triplets. We had a kid getting brain. We, we had so much stuff going on. It was absolutely nuts. And my anxiety, I guess, was affecting her much more than I realized. And she literally goes, no. She goes, no, no, not, not eventually, right now. And, and the, the, the hair stood up in the back of my neck. She was so serious about it. I, I went, I hear you. And I put the phone down and I called somebody. But Because otherwise, it would have gone, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. And I was like, I get it. You are dead serious about this. I'm not seeing whatever's going on here. I've wanted to do this anyway. Got it. It's happening. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful, and it's a reminder, I think, to everyone listening, just about being clear. Like, yeah. there's so much game playing and yeah. not saying what we feel and, and stuffing it down. Well, we don't hear each other. We, it's really the difference between hearing the words and listening with your whole body. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you, yes. When your body is the instrument of, what you're, of the listening, you hear it to your toes, and you hear your, you're feeling it, hearing it, processing it. it it's, it's coming in. And there's a lot of talk that is just way up here, you know, in so many of, I'm pointing at my head, in so many of our discourses in life. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't know how to listen with their whole body. Women are way yeah. better at it than men. Way, 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 way better. Uh, now we practice. 
Well, you're just uh. you're you're just not, not just practiced. It it has to do with child rearing and a lot of things. Your your brain is set up for it. We mm-hmm. as men, we kind of have to. Some men do it and do it well, but you, you, most of us have to really pay attention, guys. All right. Well, I'm going to test you on that, Dr. Yeah, Drew, please. because we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be listening to our audience. We have a bunch of questions that have been submitted. Great. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say for our Dates and Mates listeners. Thank you. You can hear more of Dr. Drew's amazing advice and insightful conversations on his podcast, Ask Dr. Drew, which I actually appeared on this past Valentine's Day. The link will be in the show notes. Okay, before we move on, let's take a moment to listen to another message from one of our listeners. Hi, Demona. Thank you so much for your podcast. I'm a new listener since fall of 2021, and I honestly learn something new every episode. I love that what you preach centers around emotional intelligence and getting to know yourself and developing that relationship. So thank you again. I can't wait to keep listening and learning in 2022 and beyond. And congratulations. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The questions are pouring in, and I brought in the big guns today. It's not just me. It's also Dear Dr. Drew, here to help you. Dear Damona. And Dr. Drew. Damona, help me. All right. Our first question comes from an anonymous listener in New York. She says, my new date seems a lot more interested in me than I am, but I am not feeling it yet. He lacks that sexual spark for me. And I admit it's from comparing him to my past lovers. However, he meets all my must-haves and seems devoted to a real relationship. It's only been a few dates. I don't want to lead him on, but how long should I continue to show him my undivided attention in terms of going out and showing physical affection? I've already slept with him, partly because I wanted to see if that changed the chemistry between us. It hasn't. Mm. (laughs) She called herself waiting for chemistry in New York. This is an uncanny territory we're walking into in terms of why some people have chemistry and why some don't. And, you know, if we could talk to her, we could probably dissect some of that. But the one thing that I would really urge you not to do is ignore this. Do not ignore it. It is very important. It's part of the glue that uh, that motivates you to do all the stuff we were talking about in the previous segment. It it sort of it motivates you to want to keep things together, and it's a, a kind of an intimacy that you just don't get any other way. If you're going to be with that person a long time hopefully you'll be as lucky as I am to be as into the person today as I was 40 years ago, which is weird and uncanny. But that tends to be when you have these deep connections, they do tend to span the life of the relationship. They they really mm. do. They You sort of, that stuff causes you to look at your partner the way you looked at him when you were 25. It just, it just does. And mm-hmm. uh, so don't ignore it. Now, the, the, the I think what she's looking for from us is, can we help her? mine something that is like a a spark and sometimes that's time 
Sometimes that's more this back to communication. You know, can you tell him to do something that might get you more interested, uh, which is great. And, and I wouldn't abandon ship uh, just because it's not all here now. Sometimes you find it later. But if you don't find it, don't, don't pretend. Don't pretend. Mm. Would you agree? Yeah, such a great response. And I've sometimes heard from listeners that like they, they'll have sex earlier than they wanted to because they're trying to test the spark. Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of with your wife, like and your wife's friend who said like she waits like six, seven dates. Yeah. I just say wait long enough where you feel connected to that person. Unless this is if you're trying to build a long term relationship, which is why I think she felt like she needed to disclose like I already slept with him. Yeah. At the end. Well and it, and it's but, different. It's different at different stages of life, right? Yeah. True. And depending on what you're looking for, like if you're just looking to hook up, fine. <laughs> right. That, that, I've noticed that people 35 and above tend to get to it quicker because they kind of know. Right. But in your 20s, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know what's going exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> but I say three dates if you don't feel some sort of chemistry. Yeah. Three is a good number. Not 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 on the first date. First date chemistry is is not necessarily good. Right. It's a, it's a high-risk endeavor. Exactly. We're right there. Okay. This one comes to us from another anonymous listener. She said, the last couple of months, especially over the holidays, have been very challenging emotionally, mm. mostly due to the continued isolation, yeah. living alone with the day-to-day -day anxiety during COVID. Ugh. I've done EMDR, huh. and I am likely going to start taking medication soon to mm. help me through this very difficult time. Something I struggle with now is finding the time, energy, and mindset to even check the apps or have a phone call or in-person date. Yeah. When will I know I'm ready to date, and how do I get back out there? Well... Sorry to pass the buck, but that you, there, you've packed a lot into that story. The fact that you need EMDR and you have chronic anxiety, maybe PTSD suggests trauma history, right? That's why people get EMDR, eye movement desensitization, reprocessing therapy. You know, it really would be unfair for us to give a specific recommendation because you, you need to ask somebody who really knows what you're contending with. I like that you're thinking about it. I like that you're getting treatment. It might be sooner than later. And what really, truly breaks my heart is that your public health officials perpetrated this on people without understanding the mental health consequences, and it has been profound. You are not alone. I hear this constantly, and it's real, and it's appropriate to the circumstance, but it didn't have to be like this. Somebody could have paid attention to your mental health and balanced it against also the infectious disease de demands. It did not happen that way. And uh, they scared everybody to death. And if you've got anxiety and PTSD, of course, this is going to be a difficult time. But my bet is, and, and let me just be clear, what you need is connection. The answer is connection. Uh, and hopefully EMDR will be the first stage of that connection. And my bet is very quickly you'll be able to go out and start. In fact, you'll probably be, your therapist will probably recommend that you get out there and make some yeah. connections. Be, at, least, at least just have some fun connecting with other yeah. people. What do you say? Yeah, and I would just add, if you're dreading dating, if you're really burned out on the apps, like maybe that's not, everyone knows I love dating apps, but like <laughs> maybe that's not the right venue for you. Maybe this isn't the right time and you can get that human connection need met in a different way. But but that is the point. That is the point is that you, you need to be out, you know, sharing a meal with somebody, connecting with them, enjoying your time with them, not worrying about the romantic yeah. piece just yet. If yeah. it comes, great. But but don't put that as the 
the priority, you know. You would know more about this than me. <laughs> I but I think I read something like a quarter of Americans are now on some sort of mood stabilizing medication. Yeah, it's out of control. It depends which population you're looking at, but yes, there's extraordinary amounts of anxiety, depression right now and trauma. Just just out of control. Out of especially in yeah. adolescents and young adults. It's just killing so me. So it's a good reminder though for anyone that's feeling they're feeling self-conscious about dating if because they're on medication. Like the person you're dating probably is too. <laughs> oh yeah, no, don't feel bad about that. You should you should be proud of it. You're taking care of yourself. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I like that reframe. Okay, this is two separate questions, but they were very similar, and so I'm going to pack them in together. Okay. One comes to us from a listener in Sherman Oaks. They say, "How does one handle dating with a disability that is oh. only occasionally visible but can't huh. be denied?" And another one, a listener named R from Maryland says. He was diagnosed with epilepsy mm -hmm. and he's feeling a lot of pressure. He's 34 years old and a lot of his family and friends are pressuring him to get married, to settle down, to find someone. But his experience is he's had several brain surgeries, six uh -oh. brain surgeries, he said. And when he meets women, they either ask about his scars yeah. And he doesn't feel like sharing that or he doesn't know when to disclose this medical condition because it is something that might ultimately, he can't drive, it might ultimately impact their dating experience. Wow. These are really tough, painful territories. And, and we have to be careful because we would naturally tend towards ableism as able-bodied folks ourselves. Right. Uh, however, I do deal with people with lots of medical problems of all types. I, I'm fascinated by the first one. I don't know what that thing would be that is undeniable, but whatever. I can't imagine that would get in the way of much. Something that's, you know, it's something, but you, you know, I, I don't know. I can't imagine what that would be. But but to the gentleman with the with the seizure disorder and the neurological processes, and you, your first order of business is make a connection, right? And then, and then once you've made a connection, if you have a serious condition that's going to affect the relationship, Materially, I mean, because things that affect your brain are going to affect, you know, what how you experience other people. I, I would begin the process early. Again, some people say, you know, wait three dates, that kind of thing, which I, I don't object to that. I mean, if you can, that's fine. But I, I just think, you know, not unloading it on somebody, but finding ways to talk about, you know, I have medical problems I contend with and, and just sort of gently, gently kind of, Bring it, bring it in piece by piece. Don't unload the whole story on the first date. You no. don't want to dump it on somebody, but you want to go, look, I deal with a lot of stuff. I'll, yeah, I'll tell you about it. I'm not really comfortable telling you the whole story right now, but you know, I want to get to know you a little better first, get that kind of thing. But but you, you also don't want to you know, throw a whole huge story on somebody after you've been dating a while. People get kind of weird about that too. So it's just like kind of bring it in. It's part of your life. It's part of who you are and be very matter of fact about it. You know, if somebody is connected to you and cares about you, it shouldn't be that big a deal. So, but again, that's ableism, you know, I, I, it's it's hard for me to, uh, there may be people that are, are in the community that can then give you more support and more clear discussions about their own experience, but you have to talk to people who have disabilities and what their experience has been in dating. Yeah, and you're making me think about, you know, all the pressure from his family and friends also, if they're really coming at it from an ableist 
yeah. perspective too. And probably he's someone that they've all had a lot of anxiety about in recent years yeah. because of his condition. And this is just more of their anxiety coming out. They want him to thrive and do great and blah, blah, blah. And just, just, just understand this is, this is their stuff. This is not yours. This is their anxiety. They worry about you. They've been anxious about your disorders, I'm sure, all the way through. And this is just another piece of that same anxiety that they ought to kind of keep to themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Doesn't help you. It's, like, it's almost like parenting 101. When a child comes up to us with an injury or, or upset or something, the last thing the child needs from us is to catch that emotion. Ah, you're making me drive me crazy. You're making me anxious. Ah, that's the last thing the child needs. The child needs you to be contained and be available. Yeah. And that's what this young man needs from you, family. Exactly. I've been through the same with, I have two, well, I would say little kids, but they're not so little anymore. But I, I did... Uh, rye parenting and it was it was like i had a friend that was like i'm so impressed that your daughter just fell off that thing and you just didn't even react i'm like inside i am <laughs> all of the things but outside i'm like oh it's just acknowledge what happened oh so you fell yeah oh that's it are you okay and then we move on <laughs> yeah it's 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 about not making it about us whatever's evoked in us is not what's necessary and not a contagion experience not catching it all <laughs> right. Should not exactly. be, there has to be a boundary, and that's what that is a boundary. <laughs> now you see why I love Dr. Drew's advice, and there's so much more of it coming up right after this. Congratulations on 400 episodes, Demona. I'm Jenny. I am a friend and fan of Demona and the show for the last two years, and I'm also a former editor of the show. When I first met Demona a couple years ago, I was very hesitant about dating apps. I was making questionable choices for partners, and I was really struggling at the time setting good boundaries and communication with folks. Learning from Demona has taught me so much about how it is to be a better friend and also what it means to be a better partner. And not only that, she's convinced me to actually start intentionally dating and has not only eliminated my fear of apps or doubts that I'll find my partner, but has gotten me excited to start dating again on the apps to meet my person. I love you, Demona, and I'm blessed to know you and to have learned so much from you. Thank you, Jenny. It's so good to hear from you. Fun fact, Jenny is also the beautiful songstress that you hear every week at the beginning of this segment. All right, Dr. Drew, do you have time for a couple more? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this one comes to us from a listener named Danny, who lives in Oakland. She says, why do I want physical intimacy and touch when I think about the person I'm going on a date with, but when I'm there with them in person, my instinct is to pull back, and I often feel uncomfortable with affectionate contact. I understand it takes a while to warm up to someone, but it can feel really frustrating to want to run towards something in my head only to end up running away from it in person. Right. So this is that classic cycle, right? Uh, again, I recommend people read Pia Melody's work. Probably, you know, you, you didn't get what you needed growing up or you, or you were abandoned by somebody uh, or your trust was violated in some way. So closeness is not something you're accustomed to. And what you will do is you will run towards people that are not available and you will run and obsess and preoccupy but the person that is available, you'll magically sabotage. You'll magically feel uncomfortable and you'll feel clingy and weird and gross. And this is a classic cycle. You have to deal with this. Uh, th therapy is a, and it can be dealt with relatively in short order usually. 
but it really is important if you, if you can't manage this. So what I always tell people is, look, you're a perfect instrument. Your body's a perfect instrument. So we know that if you are experiencing lightning bolt attraction to somebody, let's say, let's say it's a female that's experiencing this, that guy is going to abandon you because you are a perfect instrument. And the fact mm -hmm. that you are attracted to him with that intensity tells us, even though he looks nothing like the other ones that left you, he will leave you. He will do it. And by the same token, if it's getting too affectionate too close too quickly, that feels overwhelming and intrusive and weird and yucky and all that stuff. So there is a middle ground. So what we tell people is think butterflies, not lightning bolts. <laughs> so if you can have just sort of a, a, a moderate attraction without the, oh, I got to be with that guy. Those are, that's not going to go well. Now, if you can't do that, then that's therapy time. If you, if you can't hang with a more nourishing, sustained, you know, closeness that is sort of uh, maybe a little lightning bolts here and there are okay because a little danger, a little this, a little that, I don't object to. But but if it's, oh, I got to be with that guy. No, not not if that's your pattern. No, I'm not saying this for everybody. I'm saying if that's your pattern. You're laughing. We're going to replay that voice. <laughs> It'll be in a drop. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm actually also wondering, Dr. Drew, I may be reading into this, so... Danny, this could be totally sure. off base, but sometimes also those feelings come up when there's a history of abuse. Yeah. And if that is in your history, your your sexual experiences in the past, then definitely what Dr. Drew's saying, like it's definitely therapy time. So Yeah. And, and so, and again, you know, it, it's usually people that get into the cycle of abuse have some sort of setup they will see from their childhood. But yes, some people are just get sucked into something and get victimized. And, and yes, you can end up in the exact same place we're talking about here. It's a traumatic bonding. It's all these patterns that we get into when people have been traumatized. It's, it's weird how our brain does this, but trust me, it does it. Mm -hmm, for sure. Okay. We hope that helps, Danny. This listener wanted to be anonymous. She says, I'm going through something really painful. Okay. I caught my boyfriend of five years in a lie, and he mm. revealed that he loves another woman. Oh this my was God. via text, Ugh. and he hasn't contacted me since. Ugh. I would love if you have any advice or pointers. I feel so lost right now. Oh, my God. Ugh. Yeah. I, I hate it when people do this stuff. It's so awful. I know. Five years, too. I mean, I've I seen know. it a lot, you know, in the early phase of dating, but this is this is kind of a horse of a different color. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if he fell in love with somebody and is saying, I'm, you know, I'm sorry I got sucked into this before. I should have broken up before. I've been, usually it's people are, they're sort of wrapping up the relationship long before they have a, a cheating event. And, and sometimes it just happens. I, I get it. But a complete person will sit you down and, and have a conversation about it and apologize and, and you know, empathize with how she, what a terrible situation it is. But to just, he just ghosted her. Is that what we're hearing? Yeah. He just ghosted her after five years. Yeah. I mean, this is a horrible, I'm sorry, but he is doing you such a favor. It's not even funny. And I know yeah. it doesn't feel like that right now, but this is not a good person. This is somebody mm -hmm. I, and if he is a good person, he's not in a good place in his life and you do not need to be around him. He, he's literally dangerous. That is literally mm -hmm. somebody 
who can harm other people with complete disregard. And that is not somebody you want to be around. I'm sorry. You may have had some good times with him. He may have been able to hold it together for a period of time. I, there may be something going on. I mean, he may have a brain tumor. I, I don't know. <laughs> but he is, it is not somebody you want to be around. And I am so sorry. You're going to have to keep people around you who care about you and take time to heal. And it's going to be you know a good six months because this is traumatic. Yeah. For sure. And I would talk to somebody about it and I would try to understand, you know, were there things I missed or there are signs, you know, so I can, again, as you and I, not so much today, Demona, but we, we have talked about learning from these things. There, there's, there's opportunity to learn always, but you got to do it with somebody who can really look at these things with you. Absolutely. Okay. One last question. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Hopefully this will not be the last time that we have you uh, answering advice here, but that'd be great. One more question from a listener who lives in Nashville. Mm -hmm. They say, when I'm out in social settings, I've been told I am unapproachable or intimidating. How can I appear more approachable? Asking for a friend, Dr. Drew. No, I don't live in Nashville, (laughs) but I I used to hear that all the time. I'm curious what what you would say. Really? Have, yeah. you, have you changed how you are, do you think? Or is it just Maybe. something about... I don't know. Well, I, I would say, <laughs> you know, usually that's anxiety. Uh, that You're just anxious out in social situations. And you got to find ways to manage your anxiety so it doesn't come across as aloofness or arrogance. Or I, 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 I have a generalized anxiety disorder. And I'm always, I'm always shocked at how people perceive what I'm doing relative to how I'm feeling. It's shocking yeah. to me. And so it, it usually is anxiety, unless you really are aloof, and in which case you got to find ways to open yourself. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be anxiety. So really look at what are the circumstances. Do you really, maybe you're going into the wrong environments that are just too overwhelming to you. Are you bringing people with you that you can kind of lean on and have fun with? It, it's, people seem aloof when they, they aren't open to discourse and when they're kind of nervous and anxious, it feels like you're unapproachable. I don't, what was it for you? I think it was, you know, sometimes when you are approached by the wrong people, I see this a lot with women, you know, that are that are successful and are afraid that somebody is going to come in and take advantage of them, take their stuff, waste their time. You develop a little bit of a wall that you might not even know is there. And even like you were saying, going out with people, you know, that you're happy to be around sometimes that can be a safety blankie, yeah. you know? So, yeah. so I'll see a, a lot of women that will go out in a herd and they wall off with their friends. And really what they most want is to be talking to the men in the club, but right. they make that, they, they feel more safe and secure. And maybe that's anxiety. Maybe that's just a reaction to, I don't want the losers to talk to me. Well, right. <laughs> But then you push everyone away. Well, but that's kind of an anxiety thing too. But but to your point, it's why women have to share with other women these issues because that that would not occur to me as a man that that's what you're contending with because we don't we don't think about that. We we are the losers that are coming up to you, <laughs> and so and so we have a whole different set of things we're contending with, which is rejection and anxiety about that and you know this kind of thing. This is helpful though as we're talking about genders and gender roles. It's helpful I find for women first of all to just let go of their ideas of chivalry of who starts the conversation because you're you're not approachable because you're probably not approaching anyone you're not right. talking to anyone so you don't seem like a safe person to talk to you seem right. like somebody who's going to shoot a guy down right that's right <laughs> right so just start yeah. like looking like you're having fun and and be willing to engage with whomever practice it practice it you yeah. know social 
skills take practice and, and uh, a lot of people expect them just to be there and they're not. I mean, some people are lucky enough to kind of have natural tendencies, but most of us have to really develop these things. Yes. I say this all the time on the show. Dating is a learned skill. So absolutely, you are echoing that back to me. And by the way, when I was young, I enjoyed dating. I really liked it. Yeah, me too. I'm one of these people that I really, I just like spending time with people, getting to know people. I, I could, I could just yeah. enjoy it. I don't know. A lot, a lot of people didn't get that experience. It's kind of, it was important. By the way, back to the success of the relationship it is important. That, that's part of the reason I wasn't ready. I, I just had not really experienced myself in the world. You know, I, I needed to go out and date and meet people and sort of see what the hell was going on. Who am I? And what's, what, where do I, I what, what's going on? I had no idea. And, and so, you know, I, one of the things that drives me crazy when people go, well, we married 15 years and he just went out on me because, well, he'd never really dated before. It's like that, that is inexcusable to me. You do that at the stage of life where you're supposed to do that. Sorry. I know it's hard, but do it, do it when you're young. Or just, just. Take the fact that that ship has sailed. <laughs> or, or it sailed and you don't get to just go, well, I'm sorry, I didn't get to do that. No, 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 no. That's 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 invalid as far as I'm concerned. I, I understand it, but uh-uh. I don't like that at all when people do that. Oh, well, I have so enjoyed talking to you, Dr. Drew. And you thank well. you so much for answering so many listener questions. What a way to celebrate 400 episodes. It's great. I'm just over the moon. You've made my day. And I can't wait to hear what our listeners think about this episode. I, I'm sure it's going to speak to a lot of people. So I appreciate you being here. I'm looking forward to it. And, and I appreciate how carefully and seriously you, you take your job. You know, in medical school, we look at cases. That's how you learn. That's how you get experience. That's how you get judgment. And you've been now hearing all these cases. And so you have a catalog of experience that really does teach you something substantial but you have to pay attention and care about it as you do. And so congratulations on that. Thank you so much, Dr. Drew. And thank you to my longtime listeners, especially who've been with me for so much of this journey. Here's one more message from one of you. Hey, Demona, it's Jen calling from the East Coast. I've been a loyal listener for years. What Dates and Mates has meant to me is gaining a lot of wisdom about love and relationships through your humor and wisdom and all the wonderful guests you've had along the way. I'm looking forward to more episodes to come. And there you have it, episode 400 of Dates and Mates. Another big thank you to Dr. Drew for marking the occasion and celebrating with me. What a dream come true for Dates and Mates. But I know you still have questions, and I am still here for you to answer them. You can send them to me anytime in the DMs. I'd love to hear your voice. Just like, isn't it nice to hear so many voices from listeners? I would love to hear from you and hear your question in your own words. You can DM it to me at Demona Hoffman. You can leave me a voicemail at 424-246-6255. You can send it by Carrier Pigeon. However, you get it here. I want to know what's on your mind. And then I can answer your question on a future episode. Next week, I will be joined by my dear friend, Deb Biesinger. She's a certified love, life, and dating coach. And she'll be talking about how you get to design your own relationship. Until then, I wish you a happy dating and I send you off with one final message from one of our Dates and Mates VIPs. Congratulations on your 400th episode, Mom. <laughs>